To another edition of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm your occasional co-host, Tifi from GhostCultMag.com. And with me as always is my amazing co-host, Curtis Dewar. Hello, hello. And our very special guest today, Don DeLamont of the Great Southern Brain Fart. Don, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, guys. How about yourselves? I'm always well. Curtis is always well, and I I'm pessimistically am well. never well. I'm always grouchy and angry about something. Curtis and I are like the Stadler, the Stadler and Waldorf of the Muppet Show of, of <laughs> even down to the hair. One bald guy and one kind of not. Sort of. I can totally see that. I, I'm definitely, you know, according to my wife, I'm definitely hitting, you know, curmudgeon, grouchy old man phase. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm right behind you. Word. Uh, Don, we got a lot of stuff to queue up. We want to hear all about your background. You're a longtime blog writer, longtime music industry person. You have a brand new book out. Let's take it back to the beginning, to little Don. How did you how did you become a music fan? How did you get into writing? How did you get into the metal and rock music blogging world? Well, God, I could I could talk to you like for two hours about this, but uh, in a nutshell, I it pretty much started by hearing uh, Twisted Sister for the first time back in like 1984 or so, and then um, becoming a, good friends with a guy who went to the same after school program that I did, who was all into heavy metal because of his older brother, and then you know invited me over for a slumber party and meet his cool older brother, you know, who had the long hair and the muscle shirt and, you know, playing loud music out of the stereo and that kind of funny smell that I couldn't figure out what it was. And, you know, when I grew up later, I realized what that smell was. And so, um, <laughs> you know, and so that, that Sunday morning, I, I went home with a stack of dubbed cassettes and, you know, of all the albums he played for me that day, Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast was the one that pretty much changed my life forever. And then um, from there, I just became an addict, like most metalheads do, you know, like, you know, you, you hear it and you just can't get enough of it. You want more. And so I just dove as far deep and I, I was a very big KTEL Masters of Metal fan. I used to love those fucking records. Oh, I'm sorry. Can did I drop an F-bomb? Is that bad? Or? You, you can F-bomb all day fine. long. We don't give a fuck. Okay. okay, good. Because that's part of my regular vocabulary. So, <laughs> Same. <laughs> but I was a big fucking fan of the uh, KTEL albums, you know, like the Masters of Metal. And, you know, for like you know, six bucks, you can just discover all kinds of bands you didn't even know existed. And so... Um, you know, Crocus, Triumph, you know, that's where I first learned that Ronnie James Dio sang for Black Sabbath, you know, things like that. So I just became an addict. And then as far as writing goes, it came from my love of just the, the classic magazines, you know, Circus, Hit Parader, Faces Rocks. Um, and then as I was a little older, it was Kerrang! and 
you know, sometimes it would be metal maniacs just so I could kind of familiarize myself with the extreme side of metal, even though I didn't love that. Mm. Um, you know, and then I used to do things like when I was in high school, my, my friends and I would write, you know, you know, one of us would get a new album and we'd say, okay, like over the weekend, write two paragraphs on this album and let's swap them and see what we each think of them. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's where my, my love for writing came from was just because I just loved the idea that these people, you know, got to hang out with musicians and it, you know, without being rock stars themselves, you know, they got to actually get into their heads and get behind the scenes. And, you know, even as a musician, that, that side of it always appealed to me more than just being a rock star in general. But I have no journalism background. I have, matter of fact, I have a background in information sciences. I worked in IT for seven years. And, um, but writing is just something I've always just been very passionate about. And you know, hence the bad grammar and punctuation and spelling, you know, <laughs> so I, I just fell in love with it. it. It just became an outlet for me to voice my opinions and to, you know, share, maybe even share some bands that my friends had never heard of, you know, so that's I, I want to know how you got the name, name of the blog. That's, that's my burning question. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like, how, how no. did you come up with the name for it? Okay, so there is actually a Pantera album called The Great Southern Trend Kill. Yeah. And um, the, the the brain fart was just something that was just kind of, you know, a couple of my friends used to call me that just because, you know, I've got ADD and I would just go from one topic to another and then, you know, forget where I was. And then they'd be like, oh, here comes the brain fart. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's that kind of, so when it came time for me to just do the blog, it just, it just happened to just come out for some reason. You know, like, oh, the great Southern brain fart works out well. It's a Pantera album rip. And then, you know, I'm from the South. So, mm-hmm. you know, why not? <laughs> I had no idea it would stick. So, but. Was that also like, just in case you weren't, like you decided to maybe not cover metal at some point? Because, I mean, it's kind of ambiguous for anyone that doesn't know Pantera, right? So was that part of it, maybe? Well, actually, in the, that's that's very, very good observation because when I first started the blog, it was just a plain old WordPress blog, you know, that mm-hmm. I kept for myself. And I used to do, like, I would write down reviews for, like, Almond Brothers shows, and I'd write pieces about, you know, you know, the jam band Fish, and then I would interview like folk singers and whatnot. And so it kind of started out, it, it's kind of the other way around. It started out more ambiguous, and then it kind of morphed into more of like a hard rock metal thing because once I started to realize I wanted to do something with it, you know, I have, I've been lucky enough to have some really good people and good friends in my life who basically said, you need to kind of hone it in to some aspect so that it's, you know, attainable to people. You know, if it's too broad, it's going to cover too much and then no one's going to really know where to go for what, you know? So, uh, so I kind of started to realize that metal was way more interesting to write about. And so I just kind of compartmentalized what I was writing about into just the hard rock and metal aspects. 
Fair enough. Okay. Keith, I, 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 I think I cut you off before. No, it's quite all right. I'm bristling with uh, questions. Uh, you know, it's funny. I know, Don, you said, so you didn't have a journalism background, but and I love that you name-checked all these great magazines and we're kind of heading into an age where I think magazines are going to be gone at some point and nobody's mm-hmm. going to know what that. What is that? What's that? What's that thing? Um, <laughs> not, you know, it's not going to be just a thing you used to go into dentists and doctor's offices and read while you waited nervously for your uh, STD test results. Now you have to, <laughs> you know, now you're going to have to like actually read everything on a screen, which we already have too much time on screens. But mm-hmm. what is my point? My point is, I love that you name check these mags. Did you have a favorite writer or reviewer that influenced you? Because you do have a very specific and unique writing and reviewing style that I enjoy. So I wanted to hear if something helped form that in you. <laughs> so when I was younger, I didn't really pay much attention to who who was writing what. It was more of a sense of what was being written. So, yeah, I was always very much content-oriented as opposed to, you know, identifying with a specific writer. But when I got older, uh, Rip Magazine was probably my favorite magazine in the, you know, into my high school years, which was, you know, from 88 to, you know, 87 to 92 or so. And one of my favorite writers for it magazine was uh, a great journalist by the name of Catherine Terman. And she is out of New York. And, um, well, she's out of LA, but she's, she lives in New York. And then um, she wrote a book called uh, uh, Louder Than Hell, The Oral History of Heavy Metal. And when I became friends with her, I really was like, wow, you know, like well, so many of her articles were what kind of drove me to want to write because it was more than just interviews and like Q&As, you know, they were actually like pieces, you know, and like really interesting to read. But um, so she was a, a, a big inspiration to me. But it wasn't until later on that I started to really identify with writers like Chuck Klosterman and uh, Lester Banks. Um, Lester Banks, I'd only even been aware of because of the movie Almost Famous and um, went back and started reading his stuff. And it just connected with me because I was like, you know, here's a guy that's not ashamed to say that he loves this band, but this specific album was, you know, total dog shit, you know, and not feel like he had to abridge himself or censor himself because, you know, it was his opinion. And so that... Uh, he really kind of opened the door for me to just be like this kind of who gives a fuck attitude, like take it or leave it. You know, this is, this is my time. So, you know, if you don't like it, you know, or at least if you don't like it, argue it with me so that we can come to a point, you know? So I'd have to say between, you know, you know, Catherine and then Chuck Klosterman, who is a great uh, writer. He had a book called Fargo rock city um, Mm -hmm. about his, growing up as a metalhead in Fargo, North Dakota. And that was a big inspiration to me as well. So it was kind of like, I didn't find, I I didn't really know my influences until I was writing for a little bit. And then when I stumbled on these, on these authors, I was like, okay, this is where I'm connecting. And so I kind of go to those three. Nice. And I'm going to also chime in and say, I love Rip Magazine, hugely inspirational to me. I love Catherine, humongous Lon Friend fan here. Uh, Catherine, Lon, and unmentioned John Wiedehorn, who co-wrote Louder Than Hell with Catherine. You need to get all these people on the podcast. Curtis. Um, <laughs> I love Number two, John make stuff, it so. Yeah. 
Um, no, I'll make it so. Uh, I, I'm a huge Lon. Lon is a huge inspiration to me. His book, Life on Planet Rock, is like the blueprint of the, you know, if I were ever to write a book on my experience in music, similar to the, your book that we're going to get into, that would be like my blueprint. Captain's wonderful. Met her once. Love her writing. And Rip was mm -hmm. tremendous. And Rip was, see, again, I know you said you don't have like a strict journalism background, but your interviewing style, your reviewing style is very objective. It's, it's your subjective take objectively, which mm -hmm. I think is an art. It's not yeah. something taught or learned. It's something you just have or you don't have it. And it's how you approach music. You, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are bloggers and reviewers and they're very angry and they're typing one finger at a time. I hate this genre and band so much. And that's not <laughs> yeah. you. That's not you. And that's not me as, as, as anyone who reads my stuff knows. So yeah, I really appreciate your sort of, you know, you're in, you injected yourself, but also like, yeah, of course it's called, it's colored by your experience and your taste, but it's also fair. And I think that's something right. we're losing in the, in the field here as a, as one of my brethren. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things also where I just, you know, again, to kind of chime back to like the whole Lester Bangs thing is that like, you know, I have no problems saying that I don't like a specific band and that, but then this is why, like, I'll never just say, oh, this band sucks, you know, and have someone be like, well, what, you know, I'll say, I don't like this band, you know, like everyone, I like so many people I know love Ghost, you know, and I hate Ghost. I think Ghost is a crappy band, and I, but it's my opinion. <laughs> And people Hot will take. say, <laughs> Boo. we're going to fight on this one. But, anyways, but, 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 see, but see, that's great because, you know, I kind of like to, you know, compare my blog as if, you know, and you probably know this from just, you know, running your insight is that when you write something and people are reading it, it's one sided because people are just reading what you've put out and they don't get the returns, you know, of their frustration or of their disagreeing. So I almost kind of look at like, like the things I say on my blog are the same things I would say if we were sitting at a bar, you know, having a beer together. And so if I don't like something, you know, I want you to not really convince me to like it, but you know, tell me why you like it so much. And then I'll tell you why I don't like it. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah, it, it totally makes sense. Now, but here's the thing, though, is that the subjectiveness has gotten you in trouble in the past, if I recall correctly. Like, I know you did the whole Sebastian Bach online fight. So does that happen often, or is, was that just like a unique occurrence? You know, that that was a shock to me, to be yeah. honest. I mean, like, I, I mean, I've had I've had moments where I'm now. I mean, I, I've been. You know, I mean, I, I, I did a review of a Guns N' Roses show that came through Atlanta when Axel was touring with that, you know, his band of misfits, you know, whenever mm -hmm. it was. A, and it was a terrible show. And I gave him a bad, really bad review. And then when they, they did the little reunion thing and they were coming to Atlanta, mm -hmm. his PR person reached out to me and, or I reached out to them. And I was like, you know what? I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to go cover this show and see what it's like. And, you know, I, I'm that kind of person. Like, you know, I, I'd like to give 
things in the, you know, you know <laughs> a second chance or, or even another chance. And so uh, they got that particular person got back to me. and was just like, absolutely not. Nope. Nope. They will not like, like you have been like, your name is like, you are not allowed into the show. I'm like, wow. I'm that's like, awesome. Yeah. Well, awesome, oh, awesome for the like, way. Uh, so, but all, all I really could think of was like, like just like some shitty blogger in Atlanta, like pissed off Axl Rose, and I'm going, wow, like that's the kind of. I was like, wow, okay. I didn't even have to throw anything at him. I just, you know, said he sounded like a windbag. But, um, you know, but that's the long form. Is that uh, sometimes it's gotten me into uh, some beefs with people, but never mm-hmm. to the extent of the Sebastian Bach thing, like. To me, that was two two grown men with ADD just going at each other, and it was just like, "Oh yeah, I can do this all day. I have nowhere to be," you know. <laughs> so I yeah. had no idea to blow up like that. Um, but uh, it was entertaining. It was entertaining to say the least, you know. So um, yeah, did, I was famous for about you know thirty six hours. So, yeah. did, did that improve the clicks to the site by like a lot, or was that just like a brief surge, and then it went back to wherever you were before? <laughs> It was a it was a pretty it was a brief surge. Um, it, it, matter of fact, it was it was such a surge that my web host actually shut down my site because they thought I was wow. getting denial of service attacks. Wow! <laughs> they were like, you know, the day before you had you know three hundred and seventy five hits, and today you had like you know close to ten thousand, and they were like, we had to shut it down because we had no idea what was happening. And um, so that was kind of interesting though, but. You know, I've I've had a I've I've got a I've got a really nice um, you know quaint little following of readers that kind of stays within the three to five hundred you know range or whatever. And so yeah, you know, for two days I was up in the thousands, and then after that awesome. it kind of went back down to you know who normally reads it. That's awesome, Keith. I'll let you go ahead now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, it's quite all right. And just to jump in and say that uh, to to be a name dropping douche a little bit and quote a friend of mine, uh, speaking of ADHD, who has an incredible ADHD podcast faster than normal. Peter Shankman taught me that uh, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. So (laughs) a guy like me is not afraid to kind of shoot from the hip a little bit. I'm not like hot take Matt Bacon, who's not on the show today, but like Mm. I will tell people how I feel. I will call out bad actors in our genre uh, who run websites like the fucking National Enquirer practically. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I wish wish that some force would come along and like uh, alternativenation.net and other websites would just get fucking run out of business for the garbage that they peddle. Man, there's a, there's, there's a couple of metal sites on the tip of my tongue that I, I could wish would be taken out by a meteor. But, you know, yes, I, I think that's just part of the part of the game. You know, Giant it's, Meteor 2020. Let's do it. I, I, I have no part in this. For anybody listening, I, I have no part in these. What these two are saying. That's. Fine. I mean, like, it's like if I could just get like you know, if I could just get like a ghost and these websites all in like a building and just have oh, the meteor God. just direct it right to there. Like, I'd be happy. You know, so you guys are killing me. 
Yes. <laughs> I love Ghost, by the way, but it's cool. You can dislike. I understand why Ghost is really polarizing. And in the same way that Kiss was really polarizing when I was a little kid and people just mm-hmm. either loved yep. them like I did or fucking hated them. And yep. that has never changed. And it continues. To, I think Ghost is going to be one of those bands that is loved and derided equally forever. Um, I mean, I see. I see. I definitely get the mass appeal, too, because I think it's something pretty unique you know in the sense that you know like i think it's something that was tried attempted to be done yeah by bands like venom and you know bands like that in the 80s it never got to that grand of a status you know so you know i appreciate what they do and i i I think it's incredibly entertaining and stuff but just not my cup of tea musically or vocally for that matter Gotcha. Now, let's move on and talk about your amazing brand new book, Southeast of Heaven, A Metalhead's Journey. Um, with the even, even I love the, the name. I love the little map on the cover. Literally, the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, it's a collection of short stories. Talk about how you decided to write a book and how you know how you you know what inspired this and how you undertook this uh, process because it's not easy to write a book and manage your website and your other things all at the same time. Wow. Well, thanks for the those glowing words i'm blushing um but uh so i think the 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 book idea really came to me um after after becoming friends with Catherine Thurman, to be honest because you, you know her and i became friends because i interviewed her about the louder than hell book that she wrote with john wiederhorn and her and I just hit it off right away and we became friends and started keeping in touch. And, you know, because she was kind of a mentor to me, you know, I used to, I would send her some of my essays or, you know, know, short pieces and have her read them. And she was always very, you know, you know, open about them and said like, this is great. This should be longer. This should be shorter. You know, you need to work on this. And then one day we were talking and she was like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, cause I don't know who would want to read this crap, you know? And she was like, well, she was like, I enjoy reading it. So she said, maybe there's something there. And so I just started compiling just essays that I had written over the years. And then I started writing new pieces that kind of, and the theme kind of snowballed into its own thing because I really didn't have a theme at first. It was just going to be a series of essays, but the more and more I started to read them and, you know, compile them, I realized that there was a lot of, you know, talking about my youth, growing up as a metalhead, certain things, uh, my relationship with my dad and how they, we were bonded by listening to music together as opposed to doing the typical father-son things, you know? So it really kind of took on, a, as corny as it is, it took on a life of its own. And I just kind of went with the flow of it. And it was really just a lot of me going down memory lane and just almost filling in some gaps for myself that, you know, how I got from, you know, a 12-year-old metalhead to a 46-year-old metalhead who has a blog. And there was lots of stories in there and memories that I really had to unlock that weren't always there. And, you know, the other thing too is I'm 46, so these stories are going to get harder and harder to remember. So if anything, I wanted to do it for my own my own sake, you know, so that I would have something to remember this stuff by. And then, you know, at some point I, you know, 
Catherine and I and some other friends of mine had been talking and they all said, you know, just put it out and see what happens. You know, I mean, it's not going to be a big thing. And so I did. And I'm super excited and happy with the response I've been getting. So what kind of expectations do you have for it? Like in terms of um, sales slash notoriety or anything like that? None. None? I I have no expectations at all. Like as far as uh notoriety or you know selling a bunch of books i mean to be honest my biggest expectation of the book was that people who read it might find themselves in these stories and again it's kind of a cliche thing to say but but do you know what i mean like if if you had a certain experience as a young person and yep. you read one of my essays and you were like oh damn i fucking know exactly what he was going through i know exactly what that was like that that to me is the ultimate payoff, you know? And if anything, the other thing too, is that I would hope that maybe it would also inspire someone to maybe do the same thing and realize that you don't have to be an established author or have a literary background or anything that you can put your stories together and you can, you know, write from your heart, write from your memories and, Totally. Put it out there. Were you concerned at all that, you know, uh, because you don't have a literary background, like you said, that it might not be taken seriously? Or do you just, or is it just like, I'm putting it out there, I don't give a fuck type of thing? Honestly, the the latter. And I I think the reason why is because, because I've been doing the blog now for 10 years. Uh, Actually, it'll be 11 years uh, this this summer. So, um, and I think that, Early on when I was doing the blog, I don't think people took me seriously because I wasn't a big-time blogger and I didn't have, you know, I wasn't shooting for, you know, sponsorships and whatnot. But, you know, t- I mean, 10, 10 plus years later, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interviewing some of my heroes, Jeff Tate from Queensryche, you know, I'm, gosh, Richie Kotzen. I mean, I'm talking to all these people who just were big parts of my youth. And my, you know, and so to me, that kind of served as my validation for if that made sense. So it's like, okay, I've been a blogger for 10 years with no education in it. Like, I don't care. I'll just write a book, you know, so I really didn't, you know, wasn't, you know, the least bit intimidated. Awesome. Um, And then one other question I had. So the book is print only, correct? The book is print only for now. Um, now that we're on the big lock-in, uh, there is going to be a Kindle version available probably sometime in, I would say, in uh, early June. Uh, the, 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 it'll be available for Kindle in the uh, uh, Kindle store. Um, but it's a whole other beast of you know formatting and whatnot. So, But now I have nothing but time, so I'm going to do well, it. Here's, so. here's my burning question before, before I let before Keith asks any more questions is why would you do a print book now? Like just like most, a lot of people to my understanding mainly do digital, but you're going the opposite and you're going physical with the book, right? Why is that? I think because I'm old school, you know, we were were just talking about that, like our love for magazines and how, you know, even today, you know, the, you know, the glory, you know, that excitement of getting a magazine, you know, from the grocery store while your mom shopped for milk and bread and you sat Mm -hmm. in the grocery store aisle reading, you know, faces and hit parader. And so 
there's something about holding a physical thing in your hand, you know, which is, you know, and which is exciting. And so I kind of looked at the same thing as with the book is that, you know, I still, I still buy books. I also buy the Kindle version of books so I can read them while my wife's sleeping at night. But I'm, I love the physical feeling of just holding a book and seeing the cover art and reading the backs of the book and, you know, seeing the pictures on the inside and, and that's kind of why I went with that because I really wanted something that people could hold. And, and the other thing too is because I feel like I've been giving away more copies than I actually sold. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I wanted something to actually send to my friends and just be like, "Hey, here's a book." You know, nice. and everyone seems to be digging it. So nice, Keith. I, I, I'm done for now. Oh, haha. Um, Sorry, I'm I know, being, I know I'm, no, I'm hogging. Not at all. There's no, don't, no, we're, don't fight over me, guys. No, nah. <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, no, man, it's all good. I'm really, you know, I'm into the process. So I know that you, there's, um, I think 40 something chapters, uh, <clears throat> or little essays compiled by you. What didn't make the book? And, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you have plans to kind of release unreleased material on your blog yes uh yes actually i do uh, now there were uh i wrote a lot for this book and um like very similar to what you said there were there were a lot of essays that you know some actually uh, yeah that that just didn't kind of fit the um the flow of the book if that makes sense you know like once i started to realize that there was kind of a flow to the book and that there was you know kind of a theme that i started to realize that there was um things that didn't really fit in on like a personal level so there were things that where i like did you know like i i had an essay of you know you know why Tony Martin from Black Sabbath is my second favorite Sabbath vocalist behind Dio. You know, and oh. things like yeah, and like I, I did a whole piece about you know guitar picks. You know, like you know guitar picks that a band would throw out, and um, you know, like little things like that. And uh, I wrote a piece on uh, the doo-wop uh, satanic uh, band Twin Temple and things like that where it, 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 you know I, I had a whole piece on um, Mother Love Bone uh, things like that just things that you know that, that appealed to me and that I wanted to write about but at the end of it all it, they just kind of didn't seem to fit in mm-hmm. with the theme of the book so those are going to be released uh, probably going to put one out every every couple weeks or you know maybe even like you know yeah probably one or two i'd say two a month maybe um starting uh in may i'm going to start doing releasing content and then i'm also going to start releasing some other photos and whatnot that didn't make the book as well so just something fun for other people just to kind of dip into are you ever going to do a print mag by the way because you keep mentioning about how you like physical items and stuff like that so i'm just curious if the thought has ever entered into your head to do like a physical magazine or just like a one-off or something you know one time i did toy with the idea but i think the overall at least with something like this this is where we start getting into like overhead costs and i think that the overhead cost of putting out 
a magazine or a zine like that would far exceed, you know, the amount that I would take in. But inst- it's almost like instead, I would rather do a book every couple of years, you know, just kind of compiling stories that have happened in between and whatnot, or, you know, doing like topical books and whatnot of like, on like a certain theme or whatever, but never really thought much about doing a magazine. Briefly I did, but like I said, it was just, it, it would just be too costly, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then the last question I had just in regards to the physical part of it is, do you foresee that the that you're going to be selling more of the physical books or do you think it's going to be the Kindle that ends up ultimately selling more? You know, it's hard. It's hard to say because I kind of think we're in this weird time right now where you know, if you would have asked me maybe five years ago, maybe even six years ago, like if, if physical medium of music would sell as much as digital music, I, I wouldn't believe it because there's that point in time where digital media was you know, just reigning supreme. But now all of a sudden, you know, kid, you know, people are buying vinyl at shows and, yep. you know, and whatnot, you know? So I, I really think that just putting out a, uh, a physical medium to me is just, you know, I don't know. Okay. I totally straight off from your question again. So uh, this again, see the brain fart. This is why I get that name. So, okay. What was the question again? Do I fight with my band a lot or something? No. I, 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 now I, I, I've kind of forgotten now because you gave such a great answer that it totally threw me off too. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. Do you foresee that the, uh, do you foresee the book or the Kindle version selling more? I think was basically the question. Oh, good God. I got way the fuck off that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, so, so to bring that back around, I actually think that it, it it's hard for me to hard for me to know right now because oh that's where I was going with it because I think back in you know, a few years ago it would have been easier to say you know because the digital media was such a high thing but yeah. I feel like now people are buying books again and people are buying you know out you know CDs and vinyl and even cassettes and so I personally don't care I I, I just want people to read it and enjoy it. Um, Although I do, I do love the idea of seeing my book in someone's bookshelf. You know, totally. Well, I mean, it, I mean, everybody does, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, actually, a good friend of mine. Her, her name's uh, Luana Valencia. She was used to be the PR person over at Nuclear Blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sent me a great picture um, not too long ago of my book in her bookshelf, and it was between you know, Louder Than Hell, and then there was something else. And I sent that picture over to Catherine and said, "Hey, look, we're neighbors." <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I just, I'm here to just say that I miss Luana so much, and she literally dropped off the face of the earth, or maybe in the face off of my earth, because I haven't heard that name in like years. And I used to love working with her as a PR rep. Oh my gosh, I hope she's well. Oh well, she is. She is well. I mean, obviously, I don't want to give too much because it's you know her her life. Because I don't know what else. But she she's well and she's doing great. She's still based out of California. She she's not in the industry anymore though. But right. um, but much like you, she was. In my opinion, she was the greatest. I thought she was just so incredibly good at her job, and she was passionate. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times, like, she would excitingly call me on the phone and go, Vaughn, 
I just heard your new favorite band. You gotta listen to this band. I'll be like, okay, who are they? And she goes, they're called Graveyard from Sweden. And I'm like, okay, yes. you know. And I was like, oh my god, they're my new favorite band. <laughs> you know? so, like she, she just knew me, you know, and knew what I really loved. And so whenever a band came across her radar, it wasn't just a press release; it was a phone call. And you know, just she was just so great at what she did. Right on. Send my regards. Um, I will. I sure will. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned early on that you started with tapes and clearly vinyl. And I know you just went on about your own physical product. Do you purchase vinyl today? Do you listen to vinyl? Do you listen to any? Do you listen to eight tracks? Do you listen to anything else that's not a digital file or Spotify or whatever? Actually, I do. I think I've kind of hit like this midlife crisis because I found myself spending a lot of time on Discogs and buying like all these old records that I used to have as a kid that over the years, you know, you either sell them or get rid of them or lose them. And, um, yeah, so I still enjoy listening to my vinyl records. Um, when, when a new band comes through, that's put out something, I, I buy the record because I enjoy the fact that people are, you know, artists are going back to the importance of, you know, really good artwork and things like lyrics and credits. And like, I love seeing that, you know, um, uh, there's a band out of Finland called Jess and the Ancient Ones and mm. their, their vinyl releases are just incredible. I mean, the artwork is always just spectacular. Like you can just look at it the whole time, you know, and uh, kind of like lyric sheets, just the layout of it is just beautiful. And so, you know, I enjoy that. I still, but you know, being that I'm at my computer all the time, I find myself listening to music digitally for my work, you know, as far as the blog and reviews and stuff like that goes. But, you know, for pleasure, I always, you know, I enjoyed listening to my records. True story. Uh, Jess and the Ancient Ones is on, was the cover artist on the very first Ghost Cult magazine. No, you're kidding. That's I kid you not. And no one talks about them. And they're kind of... Um, still somehow an underground band but that's like the scene that the original ghost cult mag was from before i was even a part of it which is amazing and i'm oh, very proud, I'm yeah. proud of that oh they're easily my top five favorite bands of i mean they are just i mean they, they, i mean i probably listen to them every day <laughs> You seem like a, a stoner doom guy. Like that seems to be like the genre you seem to favor. I will fight you on Tony Martin, who I do love, but I much if I'm gonna pick another Sabbath vocalist that's not Ozzy or Dio, it has to be Ian Gillen, bro. <laughs> Mm. Ooh, I on that. It's the best <laughs> non-Ozzy, non-Dio Sabbath record. I'll fight that to the grave. Now, see, I like this. I and mean, we might have to have a virtual beer about this one because, you know, I'll fight that one to the death. Man. <laughs> okay. I love Tony and I love Glenn Hughes, actually. And even, you know, the Dave Donato unknown stuff. I mean, like, you know, Seven Star and things like... Uh, uh, I'm with it. I'm with it. It should have been a Tony solo record. They they screwed him on that one, Mercury Records. But uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm I'm a huge fan of the Seven Star album with uh, Hughes on vocals. That's such a yep. great. I mean, it's a brilliant record. Yeah, it's yep. absolutely fantastic. Poor Tony. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> I know, man. It's just, Tony, you know, it's it, Tony Martin, in my opinion, it was, you know, he had like the hardest job like twice in a row. <laughs> yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like he replaced Dio and then he replaced Dio. You know, it's like, oh my God, seriously? Like, right. How could you even do that? You know, but you know, I always say, I always say he held his own. You know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big Martin fan. So, you know, indeed, indeed, great un- unsung record. And then, uh, yeah, man. Uh, so that's cool. I love. Uh, I like. I said I had a sense that you were a big Stone of Doom guy just from reading your stuff. Yeah, it's funny because to me. Uh, that that whole genre. Uh, it, it, this is where I was. Uh, I don't know how you are with this, but I always tell people that you know, like, I, I don't really love a genre. I love bands. You know, it's kind of like you know, I you know, I don't love. You know, I like. I, I don't like a band based on like a genre that they're in. There, there's you know, so, some doom bands I feel like do it better than others. You know, like to me, like, you know, Caius was a really great band at what they did. They were kind of pioneers at that though. But, you know, then you get these kind of like Sabbath worship bands that come, come out now where there's like 10 of them that all sound the same, you know? So it's like, I'm pretty selective about the band, but it, it does seem to kind of all gravitate towards this, kind of psychedelic stoner hard rock thing you know graveyard just the ancient ones lycanthropy blues pills um children of the sun i mean that's that's some of my favorite music you know while i still love very classic heavy metal and you know some newer you know new wave or traditional metal bands it's you know i, I find myself gravitating more to that kind of, you know, that kind of psychedelic stoner stuff, as most people call it, you know? Indeed. Uh, Hey, it's interesting that you brought up Caius. So this actually was another idea I had for you uh, to ask you, which is, you know, how how do you feel about separating the artist from the art or vice versa? Because I have a hard time with that, but I'm also like an easily triggered snowflake SJW person and everything when they get off my lawn, I'm very curmudgeonly as I get older. And so like, I love Caius and I love Queens of the Stone Age. And then I've been really angry at Josh Holm ever since he kicked the photographer in the fucking face. And mm-hmm. same thing, I love Pantera. Anyone who knows me knows, I, I had a band that sounded like Pantera. I lo- I've met Phil and love Phil, but also, mm, it's hard for me. You know what I'm saying? So do you have those issues or you just let that shit go and you can do your thing? No, and to be honest, like I'm kind of like you in the sense that th- this is the beauty behind having your own thing and not having to answer to somebody else is that I can choose to do whatever the fuck I want with whoever, you know, whatever artist. And so, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, I'm a very liberal person you know i am you know i have my my beliefs i have my things that i support and when bands are to me are stupid enough to actually like to me some things are just best left unsaid you know what i mean like i mean there's probably bands that i love that are you know pro-trump or whatever but i would never know it because they don't say it you know and i can't make that assumption but if you're going to come out and say stupid shit and you know, you know, racist stuff or misogynist or, you know, homophobic bullshit, you know, like you're not gonna, 
I'm not going to cover you in my site. And I'll even go as far as to go and delete all the content that I ever wrote about you in the past. Mm. You know, I mean, just because, you know, I, I don't want to be associated with that kind of mentality at all. And that's, that's, a, that's a personal decision of mine. And so, you know, so, I mean, that's a long way of just saying, is that, you know, no, I can't, I can't, I can separate them. I can't just overlook it, you know, on musical merits, you know? I appreciate that. And uh, had you said the opposite, I still would have respected it because that's how I roll. But I, I meet a lot of people who are like, I love, like Curtis, loves Burzum. I knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say it. I knew I was going to go there. No, you made, you made yourself a target fan. by talking about Burzum in the past too much. I was and waiting you know for you. it. Everybody knows you, you're not a Nazi. You're a loving, wonderful dad and a, and a great husband and a wonderful publicist <clears throat> and amazing on social media and a great podcast co-host. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud to be associated with you. And you love Burzum, and a lot of people. I do. A lot of people are wearing like Burzum back patches to this day in Brooklyn when I go to shows, and I want to fucking punch them in the face. I don't, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree. You know, there's just, you know, and but at the same time, I, I, I respect people for having their own views. I, I don't have to like it. You know, I mean, but if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be explicit about it, you know, I mean, like, you know, you get like Michael Sweet from Striper, who's not surprisingly, you know, very right wing and pro Trump and this and the other. It's like, you know, I'm not going to cover him on my blog like I did in the past or whatever because I was a fan, but. You, you guys know. are both killing me right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, but, you know, that's the thing is that, like, you know, I don't have to turn a blind eye. And I, and I think totally. that might also just be kind of my upbringing, too, is that, you know, totally. you know I was kind of told or taught that regardless that that kind of behavior is not acceptable, you know, and, you know, and, and if it's something that doesn't, that goes against your own thing, then you don't have to deal with it. You know I mean? You, you, you can't really hate people for it, but you don't have to be a part of it, you know, it just, but just like, I'm sure a lot of the, like, I remember when municipal waste released that shirt of fucking Donald Trump blowing his head, head off you know, with a gun. And like when that shirt came out, I mean, if you would have looked at the social media comments on that, everything from like fuck Trump to like, I'm never going to listen to your band again. You know what I mean? It's, it was funny, but it divided, it divided their fan base. And so municipal waste basically said the same thing. They said, this is our stance. Now, if you want to like us still, then you can like us still. But if you don't want to like us based on our political beliefs, then, you know, there's the door. You know, and that very well could have cost them a lot of fans, but it It might have, especially in their, uh, you know, huge fan base. I will say for their defense that they, at the exact same time, put out a Hillary shirt where I think she's vomiting snakes and and nails, <laughs> which I have and have worn. And then, um, and and yeah, and again, I'm a super, you know, I'm super progressive. I'm not even a Democrat. I'm I'm super mm-hmm. disappointed that Bernie dropped out today, but I understand why he needed to. And um, 
Also, Michael Sweet recently gave us a shout out on Cameo, which was like Curtis has made Curtis's whole year more than his kid's birthday. That's why I thought <laughs> like, it was funny that Don brought him up. Yes, <laughs> unintentionally, Don is right into our pathos with those references, and I. And again, I nobody's trying to nobody's trying to hammer anybody. <laughs> no, of course not. It's all with love, and like, yeah, I'm just very touchy, and I think there's a space for black metal where we don't have to have Nazis, and I think you Agreed. can be liberal and conservative and just not inject it into your discourse and not put it out into the fandom how many fans does dying fetus lose by being arch conservative guys i think there's a lot of death metal fans who don't care about politics at all and they just want grimy sick songs and they want to hear brutal want to hear slams and punch people face punch people in in the pit and they don't want to hear about like you know Right, you know, women's rights to choose and things like this in a song in coy lyrical fashions, but like it's also very transparent. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, again, that's to me that's the beauty of music is that the yeah. You know, I mean, music is pretty much from the very beginning as artistic expression, right? I mean, you know, if you're a lyricist, like you have the you have the platform to either state your personal religious political beliefs you know let's say like someone like striper you know versus someone like i don't know like you know you know vatain you know what i mean like where i mean you couldn't get more black and white than that but they're very explicit about it and you know i'm a striper fan i love striper you know matter of fact one of my favorite moments a couple of my favorite moments was interviewing uh michael sweet and we had a real nice rapport with each other but man when he started coming out with you know with all this like you know pro-trumpism and stuff i was just like really like you know again uh, again this is just a personal pain but i'm like i thought you were more educated than that you know and i'm like so but it hit a nerve with me because I was like, I don't agree with him, so I'm not gonna, Over. I'm not gonna do the coverage on him anymore. And and he blocked me on on Twitter anyway, so you know, because I I called him a misogynist racist. Oh, <laughs> we will not be tagging Michael Sweet in this. Uh, no, he's definitely post. not being tagged. <laughs> Since Curtis's dream is to interview Michael, but um, that's fine. You know what? You got to do what you got to do. We've had Twitter beefs. I think what Tane still has Ghost Cult blocked. Over an interview that happened like six years ago, <laughs> like the, it, it wasn't with me. I've interviewed Eric, and it was perfectly fine. Even though I think he takes himself very seriously to a fault. And um, oh, he like, was one of my favorite interviews. He was hands yeah, down one great. of my favorite interviews. Great he's guy. Great. This- and and then what happened is the former co-owner and editor of Ghost Cult interviewed him and was for whatever reason decided to attack him in in the guise of the interview and like poke oh at every answer and so Wittane has never you know does not like Ghost Cult ever since so like <laughs> no, congratulations but, um, yeah exactly well listen you again if you don't it. have if you don't have haters how do you how do you know you're doing it right exactly so, if I have to be disliked by Wittane who is a band I greatly respect we have covered I've photographed them and tried not to vomit on myself as a result um <laughs> They always smell awesome. like that. Like that smell doesn't come off of them. It's on their oh. bus. It's on their gear. It's on their pedals. They even when they're cleaned up, they reek of dead animal blood. So Yikes. it's like, okay, you know, never getting laid. You're disgusting and probably caused the coronavirus. 
<laughs> okay, so if you, I don't know if you have time, but I have to tell you my Joaquin story real quick. Um, yeah, please. It was when they did the Decibel uh, magazine tour. It was uh, it was uh, Watain, uh The Devil's Blood, uh, yes. Behemoth. And uh, I think it was in, in solitude. Yeah, yeah, it was in solitude. And um, I had been asked to cover the Devil's Blood set, and I never heard of the Devil's Blood at the time. And I absolutely fucking loved that band when I saw them. They, they did three songs in thirty-five minutes, which was fucking crazy. But after their show, their tour manager, you know, came out and thanked me for coming and said, "Oh, would you like to meet the band?" And I said, "Yeah." So I got to go say, you know, hello to Faria and uh, you know Salim and. All of a sudden, like that smell that you just know what it is the minute you smell it. And I was like, that's that's dead animal. And she goes, oh, Vatain has showed up. And I'm like, what? And they've got these gigantic like Tupperware tubs and they just pulled the top. And I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. And I went back into the back of the masquerade. And when they came out and they lit that shit on fire, I, I, I had to, I left. I couldn't even stay. And that smell stayed in my nasal cavity for a week. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to go to a Watain show after that. Yeah, it's kind of like when somebody farts and it's so bad you think it was you. <laughs> like you just are the fart now. That is who you, you, you transmogrified into the fart itself. Like, did I do this? Why does it smell so bad? Is that me? Oh, my God. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's only me. I'm crazy. I mean, I just don't know how anyone could, like, physically bear it. I mean, and that, and, and I'm not talking there was, like, a 100. I mean, I'm talking the place was packed, you know, elbow to elbow, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And, and they've been here quite a few times with that same show. And I'm just like, how can anyone – I mean, I don't know. I'm all against expression and performance and everything, but God, you got to draw the line somewhere to where it's just like, I'm like, that can't be a public health. That has to be a public health issue right there. <laughs> you know? Well, they're not, there are definitely clubs that will not allow them to do it. And yes. uh, some of their guarantees have been jeopardized by doing it anyway. So I, you know, kind of respect to them for, for doing that. But um, out of curiosity, just really quick before I kick it back to Curtis, uh, how is the, have you been to the new masquerade? I I haven't been to Atlanta in quite some time, but I was a huge fan of the old building. Yes, the new masquerade is fucking fantastic. It's uh, obviously, you know, I, you know, I saw well, I saw my first club show at the masquerade. It was, it was a, a Guar show in '91, I think it was, and um, you know, so of course, I, you know, me like many others, I have a very personal and you know, almost kind of a spiritual connection to that building. You know, there were so many great bands there. Um, so when they ended up having to move, of course, everybody was kind of bummed. And but the new place that they're in is fantastic. I mean, they the, the, the you know they still have three rooms: having Hell and Purgatory. Um, you know, Purgatory has the smaller shows. Hell has the medium-sized bands, and then you know, Heaven obviously is where you're going to get you know the you know the Testaments and you know Behemoth and you know bands like that and. The sound is incredible. The the the, the sight lines are great. The, I mean, everything's everything about the masquerade is fantastic. I thought it was kind of an upgrade, to be honest. So I, I enjoy going there still. Fair enough. Fair enough. I uh, I'm a big. I was a big fan. I was at the Scion Rock Fest that was down there over ten years ago. I went a few more times. I was a a frequent visitor to uh, Atlanta at one point for business and pleasure. And I like that city. Great history of uh, rock and metal. Uh, maybe you're the guy that needs to write that 
Atlanta metal history book with, you know, all the Savannah bands and all the Atlanta five points bands. Maybe that's your destiny, my friend. I'm not going to lie and say that that hasn't been tossed around. <laughs> so, you know, and I am from New Orleans originally, too. So, right. uh, you right. know, there's something that might be there as well. So. <laughs> As we wind this down, Curtis, do you have anything further for I, I have one final question. One final question, which is, what is the absolute worst pitch you have ever received as the owner, editor, slash writer of the Great Southern Brain Fart? Oh, my God. God, just one? And you can leave Jesus. it unnamed. <laughs> The worst. Oh my God! I, I, I'm sure you know what I'm telling you going through, right? Because I'm sure you've had some bad pitches yourself, man. <laughs> We've all had bad pitches, but let's—I want to hear your worst pitch story that you got before we wrap up. So, I really wish I could remember the band name because there, there was a time where in my email I actually saved a folder for uh, of, of of really bad like. Yeah, PR pitches. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I God, I wish I could remember the name of the band, but but the description of the band was, you know, it was, was like, you know, the sound of this band is equivalent to napalm going off on your front lawn at two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, that sounds like fucking hell. I'm not gonna listen to that band, you know? Like awesome. I listened to them and it, it, it was just close to the description, but it was I thought it was a horrible pitch, you know. <laughs> like it's not a very good description. And um but more more than more than anything is uh is really horrible band names. And I think the one that sticks out to me the most is uh some band called Shit the Cow. Shit the Cow? Is that what you <laughs> yeah. said? They were called Shit the Cow and I must have got the fuck? <laughs> I mean I mean they had they must I mean they had a great PR I'm, I'm guy. Google I'm Googling this now while you talk, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they must have had a great PR guy because that, that I, I got more emails about that fucking band than I would, than, I don't know. I mean, I was like, I was like, every, I feel like every time, I, like every three days I open my email and there's something about shit the cow. They got a lot email. of reviews. Yeah, I mean, so they, they, they must have some good money behind them as far as that goes. But I was just like, wow, with a name like that, you know. <laughs> I, I would never take a band called Shit the Cow just for the record for anybody that's listening. That is amazing. Oh, I mean, yeah, there, there was another there was another one that I got. What was it called? They were what were they called a Diarrhea Planet, I think was another one that I got uh, I hope that's a punk band and not like a very serious band. You know, and it's and it's funny because, like, you know, you know, we talk about hard to take bands seriously, and like, you know, here's a guy called the Great Southern Brain Fart. So it's like I try not to judge bands by their names, so I will go listen to them. But I'd say ninety percent of the time, based on the name, they it's pretty comparable. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty bad name. Like I didn't think Shit the Cow was gonna sound like you know Dream Theater. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, or it would be amazing if they did though. <laughs> Oh my God! Are you kidding? Like I'd, I'd like it'd be nothing cooler than have a band called Shit the Cow and have them be like King Crimson. You know? Did, did you listen to them? Did oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I gave them a listen, and you know, they, I, mean, they, I mean, again, preference here. I thought they were terrible, but you know, <laughs> hey, I just said their name like ten times though, so they did something right. <laughs> we will yeah, add no them in this in this uh, show notes because that's just now. I want everyone to check them out. <laughs> I, I'm curious if they actually have social media. Oh, they do. They're on Twitter. Oh, this is oh, great. Sweet. 
Sweet. See, I'm, I'm following them right now. See, it's, they must they must have done something right because again, like, so shit the cow if you're listening to it. I hate your band, but hey, man, you know you guys are doing good. So, um, yep. you know, but yeah, that's just it. That's how it is. So, but you know, that, uh, but yeah, the napalm going off on my lawn at two o'clock in the morning is probably the, the worst pitch I had gotten. Well, I, I have to say, even though that was my last question, my last comment is now thanks to you, I'm going to be listening to shit the cow afterwards just to check them out. <laughs> So, well, at least it'll keep you from listening to Burzum. Jesus. Well, no, no, I, I, I just have, I have to check out a band with that name. I just have to. Like that is so I'm, fucking terrible. I have to check it out. I probably will also check them out because now I have to. I'm compelled yeah. to, as all, as are all our listeners. Like they I mean, gained a Twitter follower just from that one thing. Boom. Well, there you go. See, so you know, so so if shit the cow makes it big, you know, you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. You know, shit the cow. Coming to a stadium near you, you know. So I mean, that same seems like they're going to get added to the stadium tour with Motley Crue, Def Leppard, and John Jett. Obviously, we should should have them on the podcast just because of the fucking stupid name. I think so. (laughs) Got Motley Crue with this name. (laughs) Tommy's probably got their records. He's a huge fan. I love him. Amazing. Yeah, probably the new backing band for Methods of Mayhem and Tommy Land, whatever. Oh my god, Methods of Mayhem. Like God, who thought that was a good idea? Tommy. Uh, yeah, you have I, bottomless I, I, money and nobody to tell you to not do a thing, anything sounds cool, like a good idea. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean it's like it's like it's like I'm the drummer of Motley Crew. I think I'm gonna rap. You know? <laughs> Like, I thought that was a great idea. You know, made a song with Little Kim at the height of her career. That was she must have been regretting that shit. Oh, hey, you know, I mean, they they had a tour bus, so hey, you know, whatever, you know, you know, money doesn't always equal talent. Oh, I mean, that should be the hashtag of this whole interview for for, at least for me, like my life story. Money doesn't equal talent, and I don't have either. Um, Don, you are amazing. Tell everybody listening where they can follow you, where can they buy your book, where can they support you. Oh, all right, so they can follow me on uh, on uh, Facebook, just as uh, the Great Southern Brain Fart. Uh, I've got the Great Southern Brain I'm on Instagram with the uh, the little at sign Southeast of Heaven, and they can pick up the book by just going to Amazon.com and looking up Southeast of Heaven uh, Metalhead's Journey, and it comes up. Um, I also have some copies here at the house available. So if people want a copy, they can, you know, hit me up on social media. Um, I I am on Twitter too, and but unfortunately, I don't actively use it because I have my Facebook tagged to it. So I'm actually gonna look it up real quick so I can, <laughs> I can actually give it to you. Um, let me see what this comes up. So. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a, a Twitter. It's at the underscore brain fart. So that's how you can find me on Twitter. Smart. All right. We will tag all those things in the notes again, Don. I hope you will join us again sometime. You are great. You are. Well, yep. you guys are fantastic. This was a blast. Thank y'all so much for having me. I have not laughed as much on a podcast in ages, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I probably needed this considering the state of the world right now. So thank you both. Uh, hey, you know, and like to you guys, I hope everybody's families are well and safe, and I hope you guys are all, you know, 
social distancing and you know shelter in place and all that good. We, we need each other now more than ever you know so keep the laughs coming and keep up the great work both of y'all you know i love the site i love everything you, you guys are just great and if i did i would tell you so you know. yeah of course you would uh like shit the cow <laughs> um, exactly <laughs> this has been a hilarious and great episode of the dumb and dumbest podcast you have been listening are we done yet are we done?